Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Spring Fair 2022, the UK's most diverse, relevant, and exciting buying destination for wholesale home, gift, and fashion. Spring Fair 2022, refueling retail. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever, and welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. We're coming to you live from the NEC in Birmingham, soaking up the atmosphere at Spring Fair 2022, the UK's biggest event for wholesale retail, to sit down with inspirational retail leaders, entrepreneurs, and industry experts. In this episode, we're joined by Andrew Goodacre, CEO of the British Independent Retail Association, and Jane Weldon, e-commerce manager of the new Beera-backed trading platform, Neartu. And later in the episode, Mark Faithful talks to Claire Lee, founder of Surrey-based store Two Ducks, that curates design-led gift products and fashion brands from across Europe. To find out more about what the launch of Neartu will mean for her business and others like it. During the pandemic, customers were increasingly keen to support smaller independent and community retailers. But will bricks and mortar independent retail still be popular and relevant as we move forward? Bira CEO Andrew Goodacre believes so. The noises coming out of the sector suggest that shops are rising to the challenge, and now it's time to support them, in person or through sensible online marketplaces. This is very much the time for independent shops, run by owners with passion and commitment to seize the moment. We hope you enjoy this episode. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. How would you assess the outlook for UK independent retail in the year ahead? I think we can afford ourselves to be optimistic, in fairness. I think um, there's been a lot of change, but what I'm pleased to say is that independent retailers have really adjusted their business model and they've embraced the challenge that COVID has thrown up to them. Um, and the most positive indicator that I've seen is the resurgence in local shopping. Lots of external research has been out there now for six months or more. And it's all saying the same thing, that people have, have enjoyed shopping more local and they want to carry on shopping more local, a better appreciation of what's there and the realisation that this is their local economy and they want to keep it as buoyant as possible. So if we hadn't had the pandemic, where would independent retailing be now? Has the crisis set it back or has it moved it forward? I would say that in some ways it's moved forward. Yes, we've lost businesses and people have lost their livelihoods and that is tragic. And in some ways the COVID impact has accelerated those, those declines. But there has been some bright lights there where the, those who have been able to change and adjust their model have seen real benefits for it. And, and especially when it comes to social media, we saw a lot of our members embrace social media for the first time and really see the benefit of engaging community, talking to people, using their, their messaging, simple messages. And they saw customers come to them, contact them, ask them about their, their products and changing their model and able to do business even when the shop is closed. Mm. I think it's very much one of the things we saw in the early days in the pandemic, wasn't it? Mm. How uh, we all took to social media in many ways to replace those real relationships that we were having taken away from us. Yes. So all of the platforms, I think, saw a huge uptick in terms of brand activity. Yeah, it did, but it wasn't just brand activity. We know members, a fashion shop, ladies' boutique, did fashion shows on Facebook. We, we know a wine shop did wine tasting online using Zoom technology. We saw this 
creativity, this innovative desire, this determination not to be beaten, really come to the fore. And full marks of those businesses who are able to make those adjustments because it's not easy changing your business model and even harder in when you think that you've got no customers allowed to come and see you but they they really were brave and many of them did it incredibly well and i think that thing of agility is something which you know we've been talking about pre-pandemic and how you know the best businesses were those which were you know continually looking to innovate and not to rest on their laurels the pandemic really really challenged us to be agile as retailers and i would argue that's why some of the bigger retailers lost their place on the high street it's because an independent retailer is not bound by a marketing book developed by a marketing department 100 miles away an independent retailer looks at the opportunity and says, I need to change, and we'll make that change quickly. And do, you think, do you think that's also aided by the fact that you know, some of those big businesses, where there's huge scale involved, mm. you know, scale usually means also massive investment when you want to make a change. But if you are a, an independent, yes, you know, in relative terms, there's still an investment to be made, but you're doing it in fewer locations, and therefore it's a much manageable task. The independent, invariably, is only managing their brand in that one outlet, maybe two outlets. To someone like Arcadia and a Topshop chain, you couldn't change one shop because it's no longer a Topshop if you change it massively. So they were restricted by their brand in some ways, as Debenhams would have been as well, and Gap has also left a high street and other brands. But the independent just wants to be the best shop in their area. Mm. And they're very good at understanding what their customers want and seeing trends fairly quickly. And their supply chains are agile. They're not locked into buying groups that demand orders over the next year that can be very short very agile and very quick to respond they don't, they don't always get it right and they recognize that but they learn very quickly when they get it wrong as well and i think in one of your earlier answers you mm. used the word creativity yeah. and i guess that's what we've seen such a lot of not just creative in terms of people's approach to the way that they've done you know branding or marketing or some of the mm. ideas that they've had but also the creativity in terms of how they've transformed their way that they interact with the consumer or the services that they offer I, the doors being closed by a lockdown doesn't mean to say the shop isn't open. And what they've realized is, is that click and collect became a part of their featured business practice. Deliveries became part of what they did. Taking orders online became part of what they did for the first time for many of these businesses. And when I started in this industry three years ago with, with Byra, I would have said that many members saw the internet as the big grim reaper for, their, for the high street. And yet it's been the, the internet, the social media aspect that's kept them trading and allowed them to change. And now they've embraced it, they'll carry on doing that even more. So in your view, what will be the lasting legacy of the pandemic for independent retailers? I think that the lasting legacy will be the way that many of them now have started that journey to creating a hybrid business. So yes, you've got a physical shop, but they realize that by using online presence and online channels, they can actually sort of expand their market and engage even better with their local customers and extend their range a bit further. And I think those changes that independents have started to make will be that legacy where they become smarter as well as, and they, but they're still creative, they're still determined, they're still agile, they're just that bit smarter. And that's why really we've gone into near to and, and trying to help people make that transition as well. So what gives you the greatest optimism for how businesses will come out of this period? My greatest optimism is I look at our membership and, and that stayed relatively secure. Yes, we've lost members, but we've gained. I look at the, the confidence index 
that people do about business. And I find that our members are, are cautiously optimistic. And I welcome all the indicators that say the consumers, when they're looking to spend money, are more than happy now to spend that money locally, appreciating the value of their local retail chain, their local high street. And I think all those are positive. Yes, there's, there's some dark clouds about the, the cost of living rising, the cost of doing business is rising just as much. So we're by no means out of the woods, but I think the businesses that have, are left and the, those that have survived a traumatic couple of years are now better able to deal with further change, but build on the changes they've made in response to COVID. So as long as the independent stores and brands keep listening mm. and keep very close to their customers, they should be able to navigate uh, some of these challenges which are out there. Well, I, I, I think the fact that the independent retailer knows their customer as a person as opposed to a piece of data gives them a, a chance. I, I'm, I'm interested that the likes of Amazon and Tesco's and Aldi now are being applauded for creating people-less stores. You know, they, they call it friction-free shopping. And I guess if you're, if you're just buying a, a, a tin of beans, that's great. But the opportunity, therefore, for the independent is actually to say, look, you can still get personal service. Mm. You can still get advice. You can still get to talk to someone who's knowledgeable, who cares about your experience as a customer. And that's interesting. Uh, and I know from, uh, from other um, data that we've been reviewing, people like Waitrose, for example, are still holding their own in terms yes. of market share. Because actually for the older consumer that they typically have got a few more of, uh, that older consumer actually wants a little bit more personal contact. So whether that's a, you know, a brief interaction, a chat at the till, or perhaps that's a service over the deli counter, actually what that's helping to do is to counteract perhaps that Waitrose prices might be a little bit more expensive because the value that the consumer takes out of that is the interaction it absolutely is and and the same can be said for independence independence cannot compete on price they can't they haven't got the buying power to do that but what they can compete on is the quality of their service the range of their product the uniqueness of their product at times but it's delivered by people and they still see this retailing is a people industry and i still believe it is and i believe that's their ability to compete with some of these larger chains who seem to be moving away from people all the time and we're creating it with automated processes. I, it doesn't appeal to me, I must admit, but I am slightly older, of course. So Bira is an organization which is there to champion the independents yep. and to give them support where they can. What greater support would you like to see central government or even local government do to help independent retailers? Ultimately, we were disappointed last year October, when the, when the Chancellor did his budget, that he failed to announce a wholesale reform of business rates. That's still the biggest way they can support the high street and actually level up the difference between high street and the large internet retailers who, who pay so little tax by comparison. So that's still an opportunity for the government to do that. You have to wonder if that's in fact one of these kind of big white elephants, really, and something yeah. perhaps that the government is holding up its sleeve in readiness for the next election. You know, yeah. maybe maybe that's the sweetener, but well, might swing it. It could be. My real fear is that the government probably think that that life on the high street is going online anyway from a retail perspective. So maybe that's happening. So I support shops if that, if that's the trend. I think that would be a grave error if it went that way. So we'll keep pushing for that rate review. We'll keep pushing for a greater burden of tax to be placed on businesses where the wealth is. And it's definitely on those large online businesses. And at a local level, there has been more um, bid districts, yep. bid business improvement districts, which I, have been I, announced. I, I think bids... I think local authorities talking to independent retailers and talking to the high street, I think, I think what local authorities and place managers have to realise 
is that every successful town or, or high street is a series of interdependent businesses that rely on each other to do well. And retail on its own, which has been a dominant force in the 80s and the 90s, but now we need more leisure, we need more, more service culture coming through, more leisure and hospitality. But they work together. And what we want to see local authorities do is, is make sure that in their planning that they are involving all three of these sectors to work in hand with each other, not against each other. Mm. It's because they all benefit from a buoyant, vibrant, busy high street. Mm. And there's some good examples, isn't there, where this happens. If yeah. you look at you know, a district like Altrincham in Indeed. Manchester, for yeah. example, where they've rejuvenated the central market there as yep. a dining venue. But they're not alone. There's plenty of, of smaller market towns which have you know, started to bring people together to work together. Uh, Abs absolutely. And the important thing is, and Altrincham's a really good example, that they found their identity. They, they decided this is what we want to be known for and built on that. And, and I think and that's one of the unique things about absolutely. British towns, actually. Yeah, it is. We have such a rich history, almost, you know, the breadth of the land. I think with some inspired thinking and a bit of vision at a local level, it's about harnessing this, isn't it? And giving it, some real destinations. And most importantly, it's about looking what's happening around you. And they could learn from what Altingham has done, for instance. But don't just copy for the sake of copying. The local authorities have got to look at their place and decide what is it we want to be defined as? What is our personality? What is our reason for visiting? Yeah, yeah. And it's, there's no point just being a me too. Yes. They've got to find it what's good for them. And I think that was part of the problem, wasn't it? In the yeah. real boom and growth years, you know, when we look back at the 80s and 90s, we ended up with these homogenized yeah, city um, scapes where the same brands and the same, you know, kind of uh, usual suspects would turn up with a format store, yep. which was essentially a big or small version of the same thing. Correct. And of course, all of our uh, big shopping destinations lost their own sense of identity. I think that was starting to change though, wasn't it? It, it has been changing. And, and I think, again, one of the silver linings from the, from the COVID cloud has, has been a greater appreciation at a local level that I've got this diversity at a local level and, and a diversity that doesn't exist in city centres. The, the biggest change in retail in high streets will be in the city centres, the larger city centres like Birmingham, where the, the large chains will not reopen. They'll move out, in my view, as quickly as they can and there'll be a bigger need to, to shift usage of those properties in those areas. Smaller towns will, will pick up from that. I mentioned uh, just a moment ago what could central or local government do, mm. but surely also landlords have a role in this too. How has the pandemic changed the relationship or even the, the, the thinking of landlords about their vacant space? Yeah, I, I think there's still a lot of work to be done there, I'll, I'll be honest. I think some landlords have started to realise that Retail does play a role, and if the shop fails, it's not easy always to, to let it to someone else. So they're being more consultative and more supportive. But we still have too many instances where the landlord is absent or not known, and so the shop can remain empty for some time, um, or that premise can remain empty. And the relationship between with the individual tenant just isn't there. So we, we know that because because we know some tenants' commercial premises have struggled with paying rent, especially during the closed period. And the fact that it's nearly government support to protect them suggests that the, the trust with the landlord still isn't there. Mm. And what we want to see is landlords actually realising that, that these businesses still have a future, just need a bit of help changing, a bit of help going forward. And it's in their interest to do that. And, and hopefully that will come through over the next few years.
I think there's also been some interesting developments where large corporate landlords, perhaps in shopping centres yeah. where they've lost a lot of tenants, etc., have started to reconfigure their own model and perhaps yeah. rather than welcoming big corporate brands to fill up those empty units, have been trying to repurpose their own centres that it's got much more of an independent mix. I think with the larger places, if you take, um, say, an old Debenham store, I can see more of those creating where the, first, the ground floor is a range of independent shops and eateries and... Um, but above it, it may well be domestic accommodation, it may well be office accommodation, but there is a repurposing of these large entities and actually bringing residents into these towns and into these cities creates an, its own economy mm -hmm. and its own vibrancy. So it, the theory should hold good, therefore, that these places can be regenerated, but that will take time. It takes yes. time to convert, it takes time to find the investment able to, to make that transition. But it's the absolutely right thing to do for these very large stores that will be vacated by, by large retailers. I think one of the big things which the pandemic created in all of us really was, I guess, more of an appreciation of local retail, mm. whether that was just for topping up on a few basics or the fact that those stores were there when we needed them most. How do you think the consumer will continue to support those stores? Because I guess, look, if we want to have a, a thriving independent sector, it's reliant on the consumer ultimately. And if the consumer just goes back to shopping the way they did before, then surely those gains are at risk. They are at risk and, and you're quite right. No, no business works without consumers. In the world of independent retail, no any shoppers physically uh, visiting and, and engaging with them. We have seen this shift to local shopping. We know hybrid working is here to stay. So there'll be less people commuting into city centres five days a week. That, that's almost been broken now. And so the more time people spend in their home working where they live, the more chances are that they will continue to, to spend money where they live and enjoy their, their local environment. So that there are positive reasons for, for expecting people to remain local. What we're telling our members, and we've been telling them now for, for some time, is there's no room for complacency. They still need, if they started their social media, they should continue it, do it better, learn from it, make it really, really buzz and, and make it gone. If you want to go hybrid, go hybrid. It's, you're not replacing your shop, you're enhancing your shop. But I guess and, the message has to be for the consumer, quite simply, use it or lose it. That is a very clear message and it's easily understood. I mean, I know instances where... In the very early days, we all remember the shortages of loo rolls or bread or milk. And I know that convenience stores where I live, in the village where I live, kept things back for people who are returning from work, probably NHS workers, to say, look, I've kept your loaf of bread back because the rest is gone. Now, that kind of service you don't get anywhere else. Mm. But we need to remind the, the public that those things are happening. Mm. And they need to be reminded that... If you don't support your local businesses, you're right. It will disappear. They, they can't operate at a loss forever. So they do need people to, to come in and support them. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. I'd now like to bring in Jane Weldon, e-commerce manager of the new Beera-backed trading platform near to. Jane, welcome. If I could start off by asking you, what do you do for Beera? I head up near to the new marketing platform created by independents for independents. And what is near to? Near2 is a marketplace platform, similar to others in the market, but our distinction is that we focus on independent retailers and try and get people to use and appreciate their local high streets. So if I log on to Near2, what does it offer? How does it work? What can I expect to find? Well, Near2 works in two ways. You can look for uh, excellent 
independent retailers throughout the country and find something really specialist and really niche and have a fantastic shopping experience. Or you can look at it the classic way and pop in your postcode and you'll find every independent retailer in your neighbourhood. Okay. Some of which you'll be able to order directly online with and others you'll be able to arrange click and collect or just visit. So essentially, is it a directory listing and will I be then redirected to the retailer site once I find what I'm looking for? It's sort of half-half now, I would say. Originally, we started off purely with a handful of retailers who wanted a, a new way to either push their own website or some of them don't even have e-commerce to begin with. It's a good way to put your foot in the water. If you don't want to run your own website, you can just pop a few products onto near to. You only pay when you sell if you're a buyer member anyway. So it's a good way to get your toe into the water. So it's an aggregator effectively. Yeah, yeah. Similar to the other aggregator platforms, but on a much lower commission fee. And with the idea that we want to push people to the high street. So how do you promote near to? How will we get visibility of this? We've got some just really fantastic brands that we're working with. Lots of local independents. And I think... We're not going to spend a fortune on crazy advertising. We're going to let the people speak for themselves. Okay, so this will be from recommendations and reviews. Yeah, and if if you know your local high street shops and you see them on here, it'll be a good way to interact with them. There's sometimes a a worry when you're shopping independent. Does that retailer still exist? Is that retailer real? When you've seen them on year two and you've seen their buyer accreditation, you know they're real. You know there's somebody in front of it. You know it's not coming over in a container ship from China. Mm. It's actually in your local high street. You can go there tomorrow and pick it up. As you've been developing near to, presumably you've been talking to your independent customers and members. What's been some of their aspirations? What do they want to see the site deliver for them? I think some of it, unfortunately, is based on cost because some of the other marketplaces, the fees are so ginormous that they really put small retailers off because if you're giving away a huge pro- chunk of your profit for, for not much, it's, it's very difficult and a very bitter pill to swallow for some of these guys who've had a very tough two years. Um, the other is, is the visibility thing as well. If you haven't got a website and you put somebody's name into Google, you probably get a, a listing from Google Business or you get the company's house directory. And for a consumer, that doesn't give much confidence Whereas if you suddenly put into Google and a near to site pops up, all their accreditation, all their contact details and a biography of the store, you know, their social media, it suddenly becomes much more of a thing. Mm. And the trust flow is there as well. it, It becomes a very trusted user. Yeah, and, and I guess like other trade organisations, um, beer in many ways is also trying to do the same for local retail. So, you know, we're familiar with things like Checker Trade or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, for the building industry. Presumably this is a retail equivalent. Yeah, it, it does work in that way. It gives you the confidence that these people are real. They're on your high street. They may have been on your high street for 100 odd years and you've never ventured through the door because you don't know what they sell. Now you can see a bit of what they sell, you can see the story behind them. And I think it'll just get people those added bits of confidence as well to enjoy their local high streets. You mentioned there the story behind the brand. Of course, storytelling has been one of the big trends in, in, in marketing now for yeah. you know, several years. I guess this is also going to allow not just brands, but perhaps the towns or cities where these brands are also there to give that kind of uh, overview in terms of some of the distinctiveness, what makes it a destination, why visit a particular location? Yeah, I think 
if the last two years have taught us anything, staycations have been fantastic. You've learnt in the last two years to actually enjoy the place you live or the next town to where you live or, you know, a few hundred miles down the road and you're visiting a beautiful site or a beautiful country house. You're exploring Britain more and with near to you can pop in a postcode and see everything around you, whether that be the local beautiful coffee shop where people are taking fantastic Instagram photos or something really fun or something sustainable. Mm. We've got quite a few nice sustainable brands that you wouldn't find on every high street. I'm very biased. I, I live in one of the most picturesque parts of the country, I think. I live in, in, in Norfolk. And there are some amazing little finds uh, dotted around the villages. So I can see that a site like Near To will be invaluable, actually, in terms of being able to you know, see what's out there and navigate newness and, and, and see those stores which are there. As you've been talking to Bira members and explaining what Near To is going to be and, and what it will offer to them, what's been their reception? How enthusiastic have they been? I think they've been very keen, to be honest. We've had quite a good sign-up to start off with, and the people that get it are very excited. Other more old-school members take a while to adjust to it, mainly because quite a lot of them haven't been trading online and they haven't made the jump to social media. And the idea with Near2 is to try and help them do that. Because we have quite a good sort of team in the Near2 back office, if they contact us, they'll be able to be talked through the process. It's not just click this link here, upload your file there. You can always speak to a real person who will actually walk you through it and explain what it is and how it works and, you know, do all those sort of the things you'd expect in your high street from a marketplace so you won't just get sent links to random things. So presumably you're offering support to members in terms of how they use social media, how they go about planning their page or their listing with on Near2 so they can maximise their own success from it. Yeah. With Near2 you also get a membership to Maybe who provide fantastic social media tools and they do all of the training as well. So you can sign up every single day of the week. There's a webinar or a tutorial to make the most of your social media. It's all included in the package. And you can just learn so much. Ask the stupidest questions, the most basic questions, and get some ideas or some inspiration. I still join all of the webinars just to get a sort of boost for the week, something fun, see the best of the sort of tutorials from around the country. So can we expect to see some crazy TikTok videos coming out from some independent retailers this year? I think so. There's some brilliant in independent retailers on TikTok already. There's some really fun people doing some really fun and creative stuff. I'm completely addicted. And um, quite a lot of them are retailers. So I think with TikTok and those sort of things, it's fun. Everybody can play along. There's no barrier to entry. With Instagram, you think everything must be beautiful or useful. With TikTok, it just needs to be silly and fun and there's no barrier for anybody to get involved in that. And of course, all of this chimes with this whole desire for consumers at the moment to, you know, lighten up. You know, the last two years have weighed very heavy on us all. You know, whether we're thinking about our own family circumstances, those of our kids, those at work, etc. Surely now it's time for people to want to lighten up a bit and try and get back to the life we once had. And I think whether it's through social media, whether it's through exploring, you know, new places to visit online, what you're doing with Near2 sounds fantastic and I can only wish you well. Thank you very much. We'll be back with more from Andrew and Jane in a minute. But first, let's hear from Claire Lee, founder of independent retailer Two Ducks, 
who told the retail exchange's Mark Faithful what she hopes to gain by signing her business up to use the new Near2 platform. Can you tell everyone a little bit about uh, what Two Ducks is and what you do? Two Ducks is a lifestyle store, so we mainly sell uh, gifts, homeware and fashion, uh, primarily to female customers, but we have male customers too. Um, and we are based in the village of St John's, which is just outside of Woking in Surrey. As an independent retailer, what are your views about the role that online can play for smaller shops? And do you feel that online's earned a bit of a bad reputation amongst independent retailers? Well, I think online has become a bit of an expected part of shopping. So even for local customers, it does allow them to shop sort of virtually and interact with the store before they even step inside. Plus, it provides a, a wider reach to those who, who aren't local. I think online provides a really important extra dimension to the shop. And it will become increasingly difficult to thrive on the high street without an online presence. I mean, the costs of running a bricks and mortar store have gone up so much, uh, especially with Brexit and COVID issues. Also, we've had sort of increases in wages with the rise in minimum wage. So it's, it's harder and harder to make much profit. So I think we really do need to still invest online. In, in terms of online reputation, I think... I don't think it's earned a bad reputation with consumers necessarily, but I think with bricks and mortar retailers, they're probably a bit frustrated that online-only stores have a lot less costs than we do. So it doesn't seem like a very level playing field. That's interesting because obviously you've established a strong physical uh, retail presence. You've won Best Gift Shop and Best Women's Clothing Store Awards in, in 2019. Now you're moving into this online and offline trading balance. First of all, how does that work? And secondly, do you think that online has offered a bit of a shortcut for rivals? There are retailers who do very well purely online, but they tend to have very big marketing budgets. I think it would have been very hard for us to have set up as a purely online store at the start and have much impact. I think it's worked pretty well that we've sort of established our brand on the high street and then developed our online offering a bit further down the line. But, I mean, online growth is certainly not overnight. You really have to work at it. Um, and you either do need the help of online marketplaces such as Near2. You need to do quite a bit of PR, work on collaborations and um, online advertising as well. So our online sales now account for about 12% of our annual sales. But it's still quite labour intensive to do online Sales, you still need a member of staff to focus on the packing, the labelling, all the admin on the sites. So it can easily take half a day of a member of staff's time to pack up the previous night's orders. So it's, it's still a balancing act. In terms of online, obviously the past couple of years, a lot of businesses have had to pivot towards uh, e-commerce um, for obvious reasons because of store closures. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about uh, what that meant for you. And you talked about 12% online, how that growth occurred during the two years. Well, we were quite fortunate in that we'd prioritised building an e-commerce website before lockdown happened, but it was a pretty sort of sparse offering. We probably had about 20% of our product range on there. But lockdown certainly accelerated that process. And I suppose within probably a couple of months, we'd got about 90% of our range online. 
But it was mainly still focused on our local customers who couldn't then visit us, so they got to browse online instead of in the store. But now we're more focused on developing online outside of just our local customer base, particularly sort of looking at online marketplaces and also our own direct sales. Well, that leads us neatly on to near two. Obviously, you've signed up. What benefits do you think that's going to bring to your business and and also to other retailers who might be doing the same thing? Well, I think what I personally like about Near 2 is that it's it's run by an association that is on the side of the retailer, particularly the bricks and mortar retailer. I am a a buyer member, so so I know them pretty well and, and have trust in them. But primarily it offers a much more competitive commission rate than other online marketplaces with a sort of 7% charge as opposed to 20%. And that can make quite a huge difference when sometimes your your full margin within store is 20%. I also like its sort of local focus. So it's leading consumers locally to, to direct their own, support their own local shops. And that that's kind of tapping into quite an important customer base for us. In terms of online presence, obviously one of the very important aspects is social media. I wonder whether you can tell us a little bit about how you take what you do as a community retailer uh, into the social media space and whether you've got any tips for other retailers about how you can harness the potential of social media to drive sales. Yeah, social media has been hugely important for us in building our awareness locally and further afield, particularly on Instagram. I think for us, tips-wise, I would say, not to focus necessarily on sales or products, particularly social media is there because it is social. Um, I think followers really engage with you because they're interested in your story or your background, your team, your displays, your ethos, your eco footprint, not, not what you're selling that week. So we always try and add some value in terms of what we're posting. So it might be styling tips on fashion or stories about where something has come from or if it's made locally and why we chose it. We might add media pieces um, that may be of interest to our customers or run events that appeal to what's important to them right now. Um, We mainly try and keep it quite fun and lighthearted, but also I think it's important to sort of connect personally where you need to, especially with you know, the advent of sort of COVID and and everyone going through a tough time. So it's important to sort of be in touch with customers personally too. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us, Claire. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. That was Mark Faithful for The Retail Exchange, talking to Two Ducks founder, Claire Lee. Welcome back. I'm here with Beera CEO, Andrew Goodacre and e-commerce manager Jane Weldon, discussing the future of independent retailing for this special episode of the Retail Exchange podcast, recorded live at Spring Fair 2022. So I'm joined now by Andrew and Jane together, and we're going to wrap up the conversation by really thinking about some of the big things which are kind of driving independent retail. So look, politically, there's been a lot of talk recently about levelling up What's your views on this and how can initiatives such as this help the independent retail sector? For me, le- levelling up is it's a great ideal. It's hard to argue with a vision. It's hard to disagree with the missions that were highlighted by the government. I mean, it highlighted 12 missions. One of them is about making places to be proud of. And to me, 
when you look at every good high street, it is made up of these interdependent businesses, but at the heart of it is independence. At the heart of it is diversity and quality. And people are really proud of their place when it's got that personality with it. So for me, independent retailers will really help people level up. They, they're, they're great employers, they're great creativity, their dynamism in the places that the government is focusing on to level up can play a key role in helping shift people's views, people's often pre-made views of a place. They can create the pride, they can really contribute to create that place to be proud of. And of course, this wouldn't be the first time that big government has tried. We've had, you know, various initiatives over the years. You know, we've had the, the Porter's Towns, we've had, you know, the bid uh, districts, you know, a number of different initiatives, some of which have been successful, yeah. some less so. Where do you think, though, needs to be the emphasis? If levelling up is going to make a difference, you know, what does government really need to get right and focus on? I think there's this realisation that the place is a, as an entity. It's not one, it shouldn't be dominated by one particular type of activity. There needs to be a, a range of activities. Each place needs to find its identity and, and personality and what it wants to be famous and known for. I think also allowing decisions at a, at a more local level, but making sure that the people making those decisions are, are the right people. Mm, a real partnership, I guess. Yeah, partnerships are all the way through this. And and the people making those decisions, whether it's the, the billions being pumped into town centre redevelopment, we need to make sure that they're in discussion with all of the key constituents mm. of so the high street. So some joined up thinking. I, I guess where some of these schemes perhaps have not been so successful in the past is perhaps where central government has doled out a load of money and there's been some new street furniture or perhaps there's been an improvement in you know some local parks or whatever. And then suddenly everybody stands back and go, well, what was all that about? What was all that about? Yeah, it's, I, I, I think if you're going to give billions of pounds out to local authorities, you've got to make sure you've got the right people there making the decisions. So... Have they got the right leaders in place? And if we haven't, what support do those leaders need? Maybe from external businesses who, who just, even if they're just doing it as an advisory aspect, just to ensure that the money is really impactful and well spent and they are getting a return on what they're spending. Yeah, they're, they've got very clear objectives, what they want to achieve. And I think then we will start to see some real positive steps throughout the UK, not just in, in the, the accepted areas of buoyancy or the, the, the high tourist areas, but we'll start to see it in, in some of those traditionally more working class towns, but we'll see that benefit coming through. And perhaps as well, it also has to be quantifying the change and quantifying yeah. the improvement. As you say, a lot of um, these initiatives are often quite lofty objectives and you know all very worthy goals, but maybe they lack the KPIs along the way to actually demonstrate whether things are working. Which is why you need business involved, because businesses live and breathe KPIs. You know, yeah. Jane from here too has KPIs. I have KPIs. <laughs> if you're all, not measuring footfall or if you're not measuring conversion or if you're not measuring... Yeah, the number of members we have and, and so on. So it really is a case of, you're absolutely right. We have to have clear objectives. You have to have a vision, but you have to know when you've got there and what steps will be needed and your milestones you're achieving along the way. And, and they need to be measurable. They need to be realistically done. And too often, I, I think it's it's all about the look yes without and so they've looked as if they've done something but not really quantified whether it's been 
meaningful and if it's been successful. Now, Jane, you work in marketing and obviously, you know, with new to, you're very consumed there in terms of getting the new platform alive. But in, in a broader sense, when you think about how uh, local towns and cities, you know, actually market themselves, what are the lessons that you can learn? You know, I, I guess, you know, there's all this sort of seasonal focus around things, you know, the Christmas light switch on, or there'll be a big flurry of activity around the Queen's Jubilee. But outside of those one-off events, what lessons do towns and cities need to do around marketing their retail offer more consistently across the year? I think they need to focus on the excellence of their actual independent retailers. Where you see online a brand that's killing it and fantastic, you can see the passion behind it. You can see that they want to work with their neighbours, that they're actually working outside of the government framework or the council framework to really improve their towns and cities themselves. You know, they want to be involved. They want to be a destination location. We worked with North Tyneside recently and they've got some fantastic little sort of retailers in Whitley Bay who've created their own little zone, you know, for a seasonal town that you maybe not want to go to the coast on a winter's day. Actually, you'd consider it now because there's so many excellent coffee shops, gift stores, artwork places, pop-ups. That excitement and that buzz is there year-round if the retailers work for it, I think. And, and, and what would be your response to retailers that might say, you know, perhaps people are a bit died in the wall or you know, been there, tried that, done that before. I mean, look, all of this takes effort. But, you know, my view is, you know, everything, if, if you want to be successful, everything takes effort. If you want to mm, yeah. get out of bed in the morning and put on a brave face, you have to go for it. What's your response to those brands? I think you only get out of it once what you put into it. Sure. It's one of those things. Yes, it's hard work. But if you can find your niche and your passion, it comes through and it's fun, I think. If you get it right and you get a handle on what your brand is and what you can provide for your local community, the community will give you the love back and you'll start to see the effects. It'll be fun. And of course, community is another one of these big trends that's come out of the last two years. And Andrew, you've touched mm. on that as well in terms of how an independent store might have an individual relationship yeah. with a particular shopper, whether that's keeping a loaf aside or whether that's mm. knowing someone's preferences. Yeah. You know, for me, this this aspect of community is is really something which I think is very special and yeah. something we should and, look to enhance. And it's not just the hard-nosed business aspect. Yes, shops want to sell items. They want to sell but when they look at their community and, and you're talking about activities around it, the shop owners, the, the pub owners, the business owners in that community want to make a telling contribution because they want people to feel good about their place. Yeah, that pride in place is absolutely right mm. that we should aim to get that. And businesses will make a really big contribution to that. And I think all too often their views are often overlooked because they're seeing what all they want to do is sell more. Yes. yes, they do. But actually they want a place that they enjoy working in and living in as well because they will live in their place where they work. So yeah. they too want it to be a good place where children can be brought up and, and enjoy life. And, and they will work towards it if given the opportunity to mm. do so. And you mentioned there a sense of pride and I mm. think that for all independent retailers that have worked so hard during this period, I think certainly Beera, as well as you know all the shoppers around the God, UK yeah. must be just so immensely thankful for the, those retailers which have you know gone the extra mile for months on end. I've never seen so much determination and resilience. You know, no one's ever experienced the time when 90% of the high street was closed down, as we saw in March 2020, as we saw again in November 2020. And then again, after that, beginning this time last year, we were closed. Mm. And 
each time that's happened, they've found a way of galvanizing their, their resources, their efforts, and, and not financial resources, but this is about their physical resources, using whatever contact, whatever skill, whatever bit they've got left to re reinvent themselves and reproduce themselves and get going again. For me, I think it's a perfect example when we think about the UK independent yeah. retail sector. It's, you know, the British bulldog spirit Fantastic. really came and, to throw. And not just them, but the people who work in the shops have made a massive contribution. You know, I, I visit retailers as much as I can, and I'm always impressed by the loyalty, the involvement of the staff who work in the shop. They care for it as much as the owner does. They yeah. want it to be a success. Yeah. And they've made a massive contribution. They've stayed loyal to it. They haven't disappeared to Amazon and the distribution centers. They stayed loyal to their local shop because, because they want to make it work as well. And, and, and the, the whole effort has been, I'm, I'm full of admiration for every single one of them. And Jane, what are your ambitions for launching year two this year? I'm really excited for it. I think I want it to be the go-to first stop. If you're looking to buy something from your local area, even nationally, I want people to think of near two first to see if they can sort of make the independent retailers do that happy dance. You know, it's very often said, but it, every order does count for an independent. And if you can get the things you want easily from a trusted source and make somebody happy at the same time, why not? Yeah. And cut down on the, uh, the air miles, Absolutely. the road miles, all it's, of that. It's, it's yeah. even green, isn't it? It is, because near to, as a default, if you look for a direction, if it's under two miles, it gives you the walking route. So you don't have to bother getting in the car. You can go, I can walk here. So use it as a fitness um, yep. kick as well. <laughs> you can do it. You can plan your whole route around town. Wow. You can start off one place, get your coffee, get your hair done, and then be home for tea time. So, Andrew, final question to you. What would be your kind of lasting piece of advice for independent retailers in 2022? Where should focus be on their priorities? I think there's probably two or three key priorities for me. One is continue this journey into the digital world. It may seem counterintuitive because you've got a physical store and you, don't, you want to complement the store, not to replace it, but they should continue that journey with that in mind. Join up the dots. Yeah, absolutely. I think whatever they do, they need to make change through a lens of sustainability as well. Because, you know, kind to the environment, it's very much in the consumer conscience, yes. much more than in the business conscience in my mind. Mm. So the businesses need to build that into their business planning and create sustainability messaging and really embrace it. They'll see a massive benefit from it. It's not just a cost. So show some leadership there, really. And it's not, all too often people think sustainability and zero, going net zero is about cost. It is, but it's a bigger opportunity than it is a cost. Sure. And they should really build on that. And I would continue to say to people that work together. All too often I find businesses work in isolation for fear of, competition or whatever it may be and they really just need to work with each other in any given place because it will all then share the benefit and i guess jane this is where it's a you know kind of all comes together in near to really doesn't Absolutely. it by you know being part of the partnership being on the platform you know sharing the the benefits of working together independent retail becomes stronger Yes, it does. And excellence always rises as well. So you'll see the fantastic sort of mix of retailers, things you can't buy anywhere else. And they're all trying. They're all there. They're all there for you. And you also get the sort of buyer seal of sort of quality as well um, with our certified members that 
you can trust them. They're there for you. Well, thank you so much to Andrew and Jane. Thank you. Uh, from Bira. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I, I, I've left uh, with an absolute desire to go out there and dig out some more independent stores and uh, looking forward to shopping at Near Two. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you'd like to hear more from Springfair 2022, be sure to tune in to more episodes in the coming weeks, right here only on the Retail Exchange podcast. But for now, I've been Carl McKeever. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>